Good morning. Our scripture for today comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will, be, will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Well, good morning, and thank you so much for joining us. It is good to see. If you would, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn with me in that passage to Luke chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book of the New Testament, is we're going to read the Christmas story today because we are celebrating everything Christmas as a church family. Over the course of the next few weeks, we are celebrating Christmas here on Sundays. We're celebrating with the church Christmas party, looking forward to Christmas Eve. And I could not be more excited because I really love Christmas. I always have. I know growing up, my family went all out to celebrate Christmas, everything from the decorations to the meals to the gifts and everything in between. It was always such a special season. I remember the joy and the excitement and the magic. But this year, for whatever reason, actually, I think I know the reason, it's just already been like my favorite Christmas. And it's because this year, I'm getting to celebrate Christmas with our firstborn daughter, a three-year-old little girl. And just watching her celebrate and experience and realize Christmas and the joy of the season for the very first time is just so exciting. And I didn't realize it, but as much as I love Christmas and as much as I've always loved Christmas, over the course of the last several years, as you do Christmas as an adult, it's easy to get kind of comfortable and complacent with all of the exciting traditions and just fall into the trap of going through the motions. You know the feeling? Like you still love Christmas, you still go every year to get a new live Christmas tree, but at some point it just seems like it's just like all the other trees. This year I took uh, my wife and my daughter and we cut open all the trees and normally we just walk up and I don't want to take the first tree we see, but this year I was cutting them all open, I was shaking them out and watching my daughter's face just come to life, it was so exciting. And so it's not just exciting, it's also motivating me to really get back into the Christmas spirit. Instead of just looking at Christmas lights this year, for the first time ever, we put up our own Christmas lights. So when Brighton, our daughter, pulls into the house, she can see the lights on her house and she can be excited. I say all of that because I think if we're not careful, we treat the Christmas story the same way. 
We love the Christmas story. We grew up with the Christmas story. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you grew up with the Christmas story. You heard it every year when you came to church on Christmas Eve. You heard the story read from Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. Maybe your family was one of those really religious families. You woke up and before you were allowed to open presents, you read the Christmas story. Our family never had enough patience for that. But you read it in Christmas pageants. You've even seen it in the Charlie Brown Christmas special. And you love the story. But without realizing it, maybe somewhere along the way, you kind of just got comfortable with it. You got a little complacent, and you settle into going through the motions. Here's what we're seeing this Christmas. This famous story, the one we are all so familiar with, it doesn't just tell us how Jesus was born. It reveals who Jesus is. And so over the course of this week and the next several weeks, from now until Christmas Eve, we are going to explore each of the scenes in this familiar Christmas story, and we're going to see how they reveal who Jesus is. And I really believe if we lean in and we, re- we see who Jesus is, it will motivate us to engage in who Jesus is calling us to be. So today we're going to pick up the story in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, where Lindsay read for us, and we're going to see that Jesus is the promise fulfilled. Jesus is the promise fulfilled. Luke chapter 1, verse 26, starts this way. It says, in the sixth month, And the way they're counting, if you were here with us last week, the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Last week, we saw the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth as kind of the prelude to the Christmas story. It's one of those stories that we skip over most of the time, but it really set the stage for everything that was about to take place. This is how we know, or how we think we know, that Jesus was born at the end of December. We're kind of calculating based on Zechariah's time in the temple and Elizabeth's pregnancy. All of that, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she, Mary, was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So let's stop right there for a minute. And I want you, I want to ask something of you today. Set aside everything you think you know or everything you know about Mary. All right, let's just pretend like we don't know because we're all coming at this from completely different perspectives. If you're coming, from, coming at this story from a Catholic background, you think a lot of Mary, right? Like you grew up and you thought Mary was right next to God, sometimes above God. If you grew up Protestant, you think Mary, too much is made of Mary because your Catholic friends talk more about her than they did about Jesus. And if you didn't grow up in church at all, you're not even sure which Mary we're talking about. Well, that's where I want us to start. That's where I want us to start. Let's pretend like we don't know. Mary... Uh, we're going to see several different things about her. First of all, she was a virgin. And so in their culture, it tells us she was a young, unwed woman. She was probably about 15 years old or so, as was the custom in their day. And she was betrothed to be married. So she was in this legal agreement with a man named Joseph that she was, it's it's a formal legal engagement. And she was betrothed. She was probably about 15, Joseph probably about 18. And everything was going well. Now, Mary probably didn't have a lot of money. She probably didn't come from a very wealthy family. We know she wasn't marrying into a wealthy family. Joseph would go on to be a carpenter or had established himself as a carpenter. It may not have been perfect. Mary's life may not have been perfect, but she was getting out of life everything she expected from life. And this was really maybe the most exciting time of her life. She had just grown up in her parents' house. She had an arranged marriage in place. She could see what her future would look like. She was excited about the wedding celebration, everything that was going to come. And it may not have been much, and it may not have been perfect, but this was everything Mary was looking forward to. What we're going to see is that God shows up 
or sends Gabriel to extend an invitation to exchange the common for the holy. Just file that away in the back of your mind. We'll come back to it. And the way the angel greets Mary causes us to stop in our reading of the Christmas story. Verse 28 says, And he came to her, Gabriel the angel, and says, Greetings, O favored one. I circled in my Bible at some point this, the word favored. It's not a word we talk a lot about, but he goes on, he says, The Lord is with you. And I love what it says. It says, but she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Why do you think Mary was troubled at the angel's greeting? Greetings, oh favored one. The Lord is with you. Mary's troubled. It seems like, seems like maybe she should be excited. An angel appears, Gabriel appears, he says, I come from the presence of God, and you have found favor with God. But I think the reason Mary was troubled, the reason she's trying to figure this out, is because Mary knew Mary. You know what that's like when someone comes to you and they say all kinds of really nice things and you kind of look over your shoulder like, are you talking to me? Like, if you knew me like I knew me, you might not say about me the things you just said about me. I think that's what's taking place here. Mary's looking around and she's wondering like, why me? A small peasant girl, young peasant girl in Israel in the first century, God could have chosen anybody and he chose me. Why me? And I love the way Mary asked that question because I'm not sure, maybe it is, but I'm not sure that's how we would respond. Sometimes I think we're more likely to say, why not me? Like when God looks around, why would he not choose me? I'm perfect. I'm great. Like I know my friends. I'm way better than my friends, right? Why not me? But Mary was chosen because she was humble. She understood that she was walking with God and she loved God and she delighted in God and his word, but she wasn't perfect. But God nonetheless showed up and he says, greetings, Joe, favor one. Mary's trying to figure out what's going on. And the angel goes on. He says, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You have found favor with God. What does that mean, that Mary had found favor with God? Well, dug into the, to the Greek and it says the word is, is the word charis. It's the word for grace. You have found favor. You have found grace with God. And as great as Mary was, I don't think she earned favor with God. I think she found favor with God. Grace is something that God gives us. It's the same word we see all throughout the New Testament. It's when God, in his goodness and in his generosity, gives us the good things we don't deserve. That's what grace means. It's when God gives us things that we don't deserve. We see it in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by what? Grace. You have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works. Paul clarifies, meaning you don't earn God's grace. You are given God's grace so that you may not boast. Mary received God's grace because God gave her his grace. Paul would say in his letter to Timothy, his second letter to Timothy, God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So we're going to read this story about one of our favorite characters, Catholic or Protestant alike, from the Christmas story, the, the, the person of Mary. And we wonder, like, why was Mary chosen to play such a significant role in the birth of the Savior of the world? I think the answer is right up front because Mary was humble. She didn't earn God's favor, but she was given God's grace. The Bible says later, he says, for God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
When we recognize who we are in light of who God is, it's the perfect opportunity for God to do incredible things through us, that God gives his grace. And before we even get started in the sermon, you think we're 10 minutes in before we get started. Before we get started in the sermon, the good news is that God is always extending his grace. If you've ever felt like when you read this story that Mary is already unrelatable and unattainable because you know you. Here's the thing, Mary knew Mary and still recognized that it was because of God's grace that the good things were given to her. So Mary, you are highly favored. You have found favor with God. He goes on, he says this, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. There's so much back to this. I'm so grateful for the way the worship team has arranged the, the uh, worship service for us today, talking about the name of Jesus, meaning Yahweh saves. You will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. So what God is doing through the angel Gabriel is he's giving Mary a promise, a promise that she is going to bear a son. But as we read the description of the promised son, we realize it's not just a promise, it's what I call a promise within a promise. The promise, the first promise is, Mary, you're going to conceive and you're going to bear a son. And as she's trying to wrap her mind around that, she's going to have some questions in just a second. As she's trying to wrap her mind around this promise of a son, he says, your name's, his name's going to be Jesus. Yeshua, the Old Testament Hebrew Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves. And instantly in her mind, I think the story of Joshua from the Old Testament, who was a type of Jesus leading the people of God into the promises of God out of slavery, would start to play through her mind. And he goes on, if there was any question, he, he will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. That this son isn't going to be like every other son. It's not going to be like your nieces and your nephews or your brothers or your sisters. This is going to be a son of God. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will be no end. And all of a sudden, in Mary's mind, all of these prophecies, all of these promises from the Old Testament that God made to his people to send a savior, to draw his people back to him, start flooding her her mind. And I think in a moment, Mary realizes, who am I that God would choose me, that God would be so gracious to choose me, to give me a son? And who am I that my son might be the answer to all of God's promises? Because these promises started all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, right? God created Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 3. God created the world. He put Adam and Eve in the world to be a perfect representation of God to the world. He created in this perfect environment to live in perfect harmony, a perfect relationship with a perfect God. And it didn't take but one page of the Bible before Adam and Eve sinned. They turned their back on God. And when they sinned, they realized, their eyes were open, they realized that they had sinned and they had shame. They realized it says they were naked and they were ashamed. And so they took fig leaves, the first thing they could find. They, they tied them together. They knit them together to try to cover the consequences of their sin. It was the first time man tried, it was the first man-made religion, the first time man's efforts tried to cover the consequences of their sin. And God finds Adam and Eve in the garden and he calls out to them and they hide from God because they're ashamed of their sin. And all of a sudden the sin has separated them from the perfect relationship with God. God asks them some questions. How do you know you, you sin? And he kills an animal. And he gives them the skin to be closed. It was the first time that blood was shed for the covering of sins. And then he's got Adam and Eve. He's got their attention. And he says this, the Lord God said actually to the serpent, whose fault it all was, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock. I mean, this is Genesis chapter 3, above all the beasts on the field, your belly you shall go, the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. This is why we don't like snakes. Then he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. 
And then he says this peculiar thing in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the proto-euangelion, the very first gospel. He, meaning the descendant of the woman, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Meaning Satan is always going to be striking at the heel of Jesus, but Jesus is ultimately going to crush his head. And from that point forward, one prophecy, one promise after the next, God is continuing to say that I'm going to send my son to be a savior, to draw my people back to a perfect relationship with me. To the kings of Israel, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, to King David, God says, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Well, obviously, David was going to die one day. He wasn't going to be on his throne, and even his sons were going to get dislodged for a time. What God is saying is there's going to come someone from your family, from your line, a descendant of David, and his kingdom isn't going to be like this kingdom. It's going to be an eternal kingdom. And then as people had more questions, the prophets came behind in Isaiah chapter uh, 7. Verse 14, the prophet Isaiah says to the people of God, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. You shall call his name Emmanuel, which later we realize means God with us. Isaiah would go on a few chapters later. He'd say, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called, as Kevin said, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of the peace there will be no end and then back to David on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice with righteousness from his time forth and forever meal more the zeal of the Lord will do this and so all through the Old Testament some 400 or so depending on how you calculate them prophecies or promises that God made to his people that he was going to send his son to be a Messiah to save his people from their sins to restore the relationship that God created his people to have with him and then what I love is in 2nd Corinthians so fast forward after the life death burial resurrection of Jesus 2nd Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20, the Apostle Paul writes to the church, to believers like you and I, for all of the what? The promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Think about that. Paul, with all of this knowledge in mind, with the story of Jesus in mind, said for all of the promises of God, all of the prophecies, all of the promises that God was going to send his son to be the savior of the world, they find their yes, they find their fulfillment in the person, in the work of Jesus. And that is why through him we utter our amen to his glory. Here's what we see, that God is a God of promises, that God is always making promises to his people for their good, for our good, and for his glory. When we see how our story overlays Mary's story, God makes good promises to us. We'll talk about that in just a second. So God shows up and he says, Mary, you're going to have a son. And he's going uh, to, if we read between the lines, he's going to be the answer to all of God's prophecies, all of his promises. He's going to save the world from their sins. And Mary said to the angel in this profound moment, verse 34, how will this be since I'm a virgin? It's a pretty good question, isn't it? Like, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Now, there's a lot of speculation, even in progressive Christian circles, about was Mary really a virgin? I was reading this week that one of the, the more uh, progressive theologians looking back on this, uh, trying to figure out an answer for the truth that we've accepted for 2,000 years, the truth that Mary clearly understood. He said, well, the, the, the reality is Mary lived in what we call the pre-science age. Mary didn't know how babies were conceived. 
Which to which I thought, man, when I was a kid, we had puppies, and my, my dog knew how puppies were made, okay? So to think that Mary, in a pre-science age, had no idea where babies came from, I don't think she's asking, like, how is this going to be because I'm a young woman? I think she's asking, how is this going to be because I'm a virgin, and I know how this is supposed to work? And um, here's what we're seeing, that in, in, in progressive Christian circles, and certainly in secular world, what they're trying to do is figure out a way to undercut the the glory and the power of God. And so they're trying to change history. Mary understood. How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel said to her, verse uh, 35, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, which just means set apart, set apart for the Lord, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age, who we read about last week, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. So first of all, I'm not sure that God answered all of Mary's questions. Like, again, we read this story with the end in mind. We know how the whole thing works and the virgin birth and the virgin uh, conception and everything. But she says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Like, what? Like, what does that even mean? Theologians are still trying to figure out what that means. Like, what does it mean that the Holy Spirit's going to come upon me? Like, she's still, like, trying to wrap her mind around this. Like, I know how babies are made, and I know uh, what I've read about the Holy Spirit. Like, none of this makes sense. But here's what it shows us, is that we don't have to fully understand everything to have faith in God. Because our faith isn't in our ability to comprehend. Our faith is in the one who is making the promises in the first place. Like, I don't think Mary had it all figured out in this moment. I think she probably had more questions than answers, but she had faith in the God who made the promises in the first place. And then God says there, if you want some evidence, go look at your cousin Elizabeth. She is well past the age of having children, and she is conceived, and she's six months pregnant. She's starting to show, and she's sick as a dog. I don't know. I'm reading between the lines, probably. If a 90-year-old woman has a baby, probably not very, feeling very great. But God says, look at what I'm already doing, and you can believe for bigger and better things. That has become one of the hallmarks. I struggle with faith. Anyone, you guys struggle with faith? Like, I have no problem trusting in God for my salvation, because I cannot do that on my own. But from that point forward, I just feel incorrectly the weight of responsibility to do everything else on my own. And so I really struggle to put my faith and my confidence in God. Um, so one of the things I have had to learn, a spiritual discipline, and it is a discipline over the last several years, is I look to the things that God has already accomplished, and then I believe in him for bigger and better things. God, I know your promises, and I have a, a small list of promises I think God has made to me. I don't pretend to claim every promise that God has ever made. But I think God has called us to plant a church on the east side of Orlando that will plant a family of independent but interconnected churches in neighborhoods and communities across the city of Orlando. I've prayed about it. I've fasted about it. I've asked everyone who I know who knows Jesus to ask to say, is this, is this what you hear too? And, and God was sure. And man, there have been ups and downs over the last three years. But in my prayer journal, I'm constantly looking back to the things that already, God has already accomplished. The people that God has drawn to himself through his church. The way he has answered those prayers. The way that he has saved people nothing to do with my effort and the way that he continues to sanctify not just me but our church family drawing us in shaping us to the image of his son and when I see the good things that God has already done the things that are beyond my ability man I just believe in him and I pray for bigger and better things God if you can draw him if you can draw her if you can save them from this if you can sanctify them then you can if you can do it for one you can do it for a city use us 
to transform the spiritual landscape of the city of Orlando. Draw people to yourself through your church so we can send people to plant churches and neighborhoods and communities across the city of Orlando. And on days where there's a lot of people, I really get excited. Where the days where there's not as many people, I believe in the promises of God because, not because I understand, but because I believe in the one who made the promises in the first place. If it's true in my life, it's true in our church, it's certainly true for you. Verse 38 says this, and Mary said, and if you're going to walk away with one verse today, I want you to walk away with this verse. Mary said, behold, I am, why she felt like she needed to get the angel's attention, I haven't figured out. But nonetheless, behold, I think she's got a, he's got a captive audience. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed her. Behold, Mary says, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I would love for this to be the first word on my lips as a disciple of Jesus. I hear his voice. God, whatever you say, I will do. I would love for this to be true of our church. As soon as God calls us in a direction to, to serve, to give, to invest, to show up, God, you've called us. I don't understand it. I may not even agree with it. But because I am your servant, because you are in charge and you are sovereign and I am not, I will go with you wherever you choose to take me. I am your servant. We are your servants. Let it be let it be as you have said. And we read this, and here's what was convicting this week. We read this story from Mary, and we think, easy for her to say. You know? Like, Gabriel, the angel of God, is the one standing there giving her the good news. And it's good news, right? It's a, a newborn baby. We, we have people in our church, ourselves included, we prayed and prayed for babies. And it's a new, it's good, good, good gift of God. How, how hard would it be for Mary to say yes? I want you to think about this. Mary is a 15-year-old girl, peasant girl, in the first century city of Jerusalem. Or, I'm sorry, of, uh, where was she? Right, you know better than I do. Um, Bethlehem. Um, Nazareth, sorry. There's so many different places in this story. I'm going off track. Uh, in the city of Nazareth. When in doubt, always go back to the Bible because it is true. Um, anyway, first century city of Nazareth. And the angel shows up and he says, Mary, you found grace. You're, you've received God's grace. You're going to have a child. His name's going to be Jesus. He's going to answer all of the promises. In the back of her mind, I think, because she was a human, she had to think, okay, God, I know you, and so I'll do what you say. But who else have you told, Right? Like, because I don't think they're going to take my word for it. Like, every other baby for all of human history was conceived the same way. You think this peasant girl is going to say, don't worry, guys, it was the Holy Spirit. And they're going to be like, okay, Mary, that makes a ton of sense. And these people were well-versed in the Old Testament, and Leviticus made provision for when a, uh, a uh, person did not wait for their wedding day and conceived a child. She could be stoned to death that very day by her family. And if she wasn't stoned to death, if somehow her life was spared, certainly her husband, her betrothed, would leave her, right? The law made provision for that. And don't forget, if we were reading Matthew, we realized that was Joseph's intention. Like he was going to leave her until the angel showed up and said, no, you need to stay with her because what's conceived in her is from me. And so as good as Joseph was, he was going to follow the law. And her reputation would forever be tainted because even when Jesus was born, let's be honest, the people still weren't buying the story that the angel appeared and the Holy Spirit conceived the child within you. Her reputation, 
She would be, uh, if her husband left her, she would be, um, and she wasn't stoned to death, she would be left to be a beggar. Her family would certainly put her out. She would be trying to raise this young boy with no means of provision except for the generosity of others. And who wants to live like that? And here's what stuck out this week. You know what else had to be going through Mary's mind? Because she knew God and she knew God's word. She knew the prophecies of God. She knew Isaiah 9, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a child and how exciting that was going to be. But I think she knew how the story ended. And in Isaiah 53, of the same Son of God, it is said, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet esteemed him stricken, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Isaiah goes on, he says, But he, meaning Jesus, the Messiah, was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquity. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And so in the back of Mary's mind, she's thinking, if my uh, if I'm not stoned to death the moment I step out of here, if my fiancé doesn't leave me, if my family doesn't kick me out and leave me as a beggar, if people don't make fun of me my whole life or question me or, or question my character, if all of this, if God takes care of all of this, I know how the story ends. I'm going to have to bury my son someday. And I don't think she knew whether he was going to be 13 or 33 or somewhere in between. But what Mary knew, if she really believed God on God for the promises of God, is that she was going to bury her son someday. And sure enough, it would come true. Mary was there at the cross as Jesus' nails, as nails were driven through Jesus' hands into the cross. She was there as Jesus breathed his last breath. And the son that was conceived in her by the Holy Spirit was put to death before her eyes. See, when Mary's yes gave her yes to God, it cost her dearly. Nowhere did Mary think this would be easy. Yes, God is good, and yes, God is gracious, and certainly Mary understood that he, his ways were not her ways, but there was a part of Mary when she said yes to God, she was trusting in him, thinking things would certainly get more difficult. And in a lot of ways, they did, because she did watch her son being nailed to a cross. But she knew that God was making a promise within a promise, and that God works all things together for his good, for our good, and for his glory, and that God keeps his promises. The rest of that passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 through 22 says, for all of the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen, our agreement, our let it be as God has said to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and, and, and who has also put his seal on us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And I love that because Paul always gives evidence. It's the Holy Spirit is a guarantee for your salvation. But go back, uh, Savannah, if you would. If, there you go, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. For all of the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him we utter our amen to his glory. Why is it so hard for us to trust that God follows through on all of his promises? Because we know God. We've read the story. You've at least read part of it. You've experienced it for yourself. I think it's so hard for us in the moment to realize that God follows through on all of his promises because we struggle to follow through on all of our promises. You ever struggle to follow through? Now, I, I'll be honest. I never make a promise I know I'll break, but every day I think I break a promise. Not a day goes by that I don't tell Carissa that I'll be home, my wife, that I'll be home from work at a certain time, that I don't get sidetracked and distracted and caught up in conversation, come home later than I told her. I didn't mean to break a promise, but I'm just notorious for, for, coming, uh, for not following through on it. And it's not just promises to others that I struggle to keep. It's promises to myself. I can't tell you the last time I went into a restaurant and I said, I am not going to eat more food in here than I need to eat, right? Because I know 
it's not good for me. It's going to make me sick. It's going to make me fat. I don't need that much food. And every time I fail to follow through on that promise to myself, and because I know me, and I know others who have broken promises to me, without realizing it, sometimes I think it's hard to trust that God is actually going to follow through on his promises. But God is not us. We are frail, and we are fragile, and we fail to follow through, but God is faithful for all of the promises of God find their yes in him. Paul says to the church in Corinth, to believers like you and I, look no further than the person and the work of Jesus. If God is who God says he is, if Jesus is who he says he is, if Jesus did what Jesus said he would do, I mean, we say it all the time, if, if you can predict, forget the prophecies that came before, but if you can just predict the simple fact that you're going to die on a cross and then raise yourself from the dead, I believe you for everything else right? But the second part of that verse, that is why it is through him that we utter our amen, our let it be, our yes, as God has said to God for his glory. My question is, what God has made profound promises to you. What is he calling you to believe in him for? Is it to invite someone to, to experience Jesus alongside you this Christmas season? Like, you know for a fact that God has put it on your heart and you keep kicking it down the road because you go, God, what if they reject me? What if, they, what if my neighbor, I think it's my neighbor, but I have to live next to my neighbor. The house prices these days, I can't afford to move if this doesn't go well. But God, God says, it's your neighbor. It's your neighbor. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to invite someone to experience Jesus alongside you. So we created these Christmas with Eastside invite cards, and they have microscopic writing on them. I had no idea when I looked at them on my computer screen that when they actually printed them, you would not be able to read them. So we're reprinting these. Um, but take them this week, put the actual information on the back. The people will think you did it just for them. Invite them. Anyone over seven is going to need glasses to read this. But nonetheless, God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Use this. Watch you comes, accepts an invitation because of these invite cards. That's a promise that God has made that we will go with him, that he will go with us as we make disciples. I promise you. God said, go and make disciples. I'll be with you always. That's promise from God. If we walk in that promise, we will experience his presence. But I think there's other things. And I could pick on anyone. I could pick on everyone, so I'll just pick on everyone. God calls us to invest our resources in the kingdom. That feels pretty tricky because we know how much resources we have. And if we invest and we invest generously, if we like tithe and like we, we bring our tithe to the storehouse and our offerings and on top of that, like that doesn't leave us with enough. But God says, I'll, I'll take care of your needs. You just answer the promise of God. All of God's promises find their yes in him. That's why we say our amen. God promises, promises us that he will honor us as we honor him, and so he calls us to be faithful in the way we steward our lives, uh, that we save ourselves for marriage, that we uh, avoid uh, all kinds of sin and the, the works of the flesh and the, uh, jealousy and enmity and strife and all of it. I mean, we cover all of it. God, we, God says, the Holy Spirit will be with you. Keep in step with him. Answer his promises. Align your life with God. Mary had faith. She believed God. But I want you to see something else because we have this temptation to venerate Mary. That Mary, I think, struggled to wrap her mind around it. She said, and we'll do this very quickly. She said, Behold, I am your servant. I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then you know the next thing she did? She packed up everything and she went to visit a relative, Elizabeth. We're not going to read the rest of the story, but you can look ahead. She went to visit Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth saw her, she confirmed what the angel of God had told her. Mary, wrestling with this promise, had to get into a community of people who could help her follow God faithfully. 
She went, she packed up, she went to visit Elizabeth. Here's the thing. I used to think when I read my Bible that community and being, doing life with other believers was something we should do. Over the, last of the, over the course of the last seven years, I've learned that it's something we have to do. That we cannot follow Jesus faithfully on our own. You can stumble your way towards him, but you will not follow Jesus faithfully trying to do it alone. Uh, all throughout scripture. First of all, I'll start with Jesus. Uh, Jesus was God. And he gathered disciples around him to pray with him, to pray for him, to encourage him, to help him. So if you say, man, I can do life, I can follow God without, without Christian community around me, you are a better Christian than Jesus Christ. Like, I'm just going to say, like, that's ultimately what we're saying. We would never say that. But the truth is, uh, when we're by ourselves, even with the best of intentions, we get distracted and discouraged and we start to doubt. Mary had to gather community around her. She gathered her friend Elizabeth, her relative Elizabeth, in whom's life God was working. Uh, a few years ago, several years ago now, actually, when I was in college, my family went to Alaska on an incredible vacation. One of the things we did while we were there, one of the excursions, was we saw sled dogs. And I've kind of always been fascinated about sled dogs. I'll never uh, experience sled dogs because I never had the, the strength to live somewhere cold enough for sled dogs. But nonetheless, like, it's really incredible to think about in their environment, like the Iditarod and things like that, what sled dogs are able to accomplish when they work together. They can literally pull people and goods and payloads all across the frozen tundra up there. But I was reading a story not too long ago about a story that took place in a small community in Alaska. It was a community that really raised sled dogs to serve people. And one of the things that, that was uh, in the news in their local community was a moose. A moose got into the area where the sled dogs were and trampled six of the sled dogs to death. I was like, man, that's so sad. And I was reading further, and, I, and it said the, the, the sled dogs are kept in a kennel where they're all together. But these six dogs, they could not get along with the other dogs, so they were tied up separately. And the moose, when he came in, he trampled to death which dogs? The ones that were tied up separately. And I was thinking, like, that's a perfect picture of the church. Because together, we can follow God faithfully. We can go long distances. We can accomplish more than we could ever accomplish on our own. But how often do we get discouraged with people and isolate ourselves in the end? And that's when the enemy picks us off. I hear people say all the time, man, I don't have time to get into involved into a community. You don't have time not to get involved in a community. You don't have time not to because Satan is looking for the people who are doing life alone. I've heard people say, it's too hard. No one invites me in. I don't think Elizabeth invited Mary. And Elizabeth was an 80-something-year-old six-month pregnant lady. I'm guessing the house wasn't ready for company, but Mary showed up and Elizabeth just leaned in. And Mary was a few days pregnant. She was dealing with morning sickness, stopping every rest area to throw up on the 120-mile journey. But she knew she needed people around her that could confirm for her what the Holy Spirit was doing within her. Friendships and community is forged. It's not found. People, we, we have uh, Christian community shaping us when we show up even when it's hard. Mary, to faithfully follow through on the promise that God made to her, found a community of believers who could speak into her life. And then finally, we're going to sing a song here as we close our worship service, a playoff of what happens next. Mary sings what we call now the Magnificat. It's a song that makes much of God. And Mary, and it just kind of recites the promises of God. Mary wrote a worship song and she sang it over and over. Why do you think Mary wrote a worship song? She wrote a worship song because when she was going home from Elizabeth, I'm speculating, she was going to start to reflect everything that took place, think about it, and it was going to get more and more crazy. And she's going to say, did I hear God right? Did he really say 
could God really do that? And I think in that moment, she sang the Magnificat, a song that she composed full of the promises of God to remind us, remind her that her faith is not in the promise, her faith is in the one who makes the promise in the first place. And we know how the story ends. Mary gives birth to Jesus. He changes the world. He changes the course of human history for now and all of eternity because Mary believed in God for the promises of God. It wasn't always easy. I'm sure she had more questions than she had answers, but she put her faith in God. She found herself a community and she lived a life of worship. Here's what I wanna land with today. God has made promises to you and God has made promises to me if we've put our faith in Jesus. All the promises of God are yes in him. Now, if you're doing life outside of Jesus, you don't get to claim any of these promises, but you can have all of these promises the moment you put your faith in Jesus. The question is, are we giving God our amen, or let it be as you have said? It's not gonna be easy, it's gonna be challenging, it might cost us dearly, but it can change our lives and change the world around us. I wanna share with you, I'm gonna share with you some of the promises. We're gonna scroll the, the scriptures on the screen. If you wanna write them down, good luck. Uh, there's so many promises. The first of which is the promise that God saves from John chapter three, verse 16. You know the verse, we'll start off easy. I take this promise for granted because I just have always grown up with a God who saves. So I always just assumed that God would save, but God says, I will save everyone who comes to me. For God so loved the world, he gave a son that whoever believes in him should have eternal life and not perish. God makes a promise that he will save everyone who comes to him. God makes a promise that he will forgive our sins, that if we just confess our sins, he's faithful and just, that God doesn't hold our sins against us, but he promises us that in Christ, he will forgive our sins. Not only he forgive our sins, he will set us free from the reign and the rule of sin in our life. Romans chapter six, that when we put our faith in Jesus, when we unite our life with Christ in Christian baptism, we literally put to death the sinful nature so that it no longer holds power over us. That is a promise of God. If you're struggling with sin and struggling with temptation, feeling like you can't get free, find a community, put your faith in God, confess your sins. And we've already seen in our midst, God set people free from an addiction to slavery, to sin. God hears our prayers. First John chapter four, this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If you have never prayed, I challenge you, just pray today. Pray today, just God, I'm hearing this for the very first time and I want you to make yourself known to me. Ask someone to pray with you and watch God work. God promises us that he will hear our prayers, that he will not leave us. Hebrews chapter 13, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That God is not far from us, but he walks close to us. It's not gonna be on the screen. James, the brother of Jesus will say, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That all we have to do is seek God and he'll come near that God will supply all of our needs in Christ Jesus and my God, Paul says, who I've experienced will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The promises of God are yes and amen in him, that he will give us a peace that surpasses understanding. You're thinking, if God knew my family, he would, yeah, even your family. If God knew my circumstances, yes, you can have peace in your pain, your physical pain and your financial struggles. You can have peace because your confidence is in God. God promises us in Romans chapter eight that nothing can separate us from his love, nothing in this world or the world to come, not in the physical world or the spiritual world that we cannot see. And one of my favorites, Romans chapter 8, verse 20, and I know it's overquoted, it's on coffee cups, but we know that every promise of God is for our good and for his glory. That means when things are really, really good, that's because God is good. And when things are really, really hard and we don't know what direction God's going to take us, that's because God is good. And he's working those things together for our good. And in hindsight, 
we're going to thank God for following through on his promises. God has made promises to you when you put your faith in Jesus. In my favorite, Ephesians chapter 3, that God's promise to you, like Mary, is a promise within a promise. God promises that according to the riches of his glory, he will grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and your inner being so that your Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Meaning God's going to dwell in you, God's going to work through you, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, meaning all of the church, all the people who have claimed the promises of God was the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may know God's love, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Man, that is a promise for all promises. And then he goes on, he says, Now to him who is able to be far more abundantly, immeasurably more than all that we ask or think or can imagine, according to his power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God has made a promise to work in your life, and he has promised to work through your life. The question we have to ask, whether you're following Jesus for the very first time or, or you've been walking with him, is your answer like Mary's, I am the Lord's servant, let it be as you have said. All the promises of God are yes and amen, that is why, or yes in him, that is why we give our amen to God for his glory. Father, we're so thankful for your grace. We're thankful that we follow a God of promises who's more powerful than we can wrap our mind around, who is more uh, mighty than we can comprehend in this moment. God, you are God. You are everlasting, you are eternal. You saw creation from beginning to end before it was created. You saw the relationship that you would create us for with you and you saw the way we would fracture it. You saw Adam and Eve would stumble into sin. You saw the lengths you would have to go to draw Jesus or to draw your people back to you by sending your son to be Jesus. You saw how our sin, our personal individual sin would separate us from you and you sent Jesus nonetheless. God, we know that following you is never promised to be easy, but it's always promised to be worth it. And so as we make much of you, I ask that you would make yourself known to us. What are you calling us to do? Who are you calling us to be? How are you calling us to come alongside you to accomplish the work of God in our lives? And Father, I pray that collectively as a church family, everyone who calls Eastside home, that we would experience promise that you would receive glory through your church. God, draw people to yourself through your church. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.